0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. I'm going to read our scripture for today. It's from Matthew 17, through 27. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to, spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax, from their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself.
1: Well, good morning and welcome to the Vine Church gathered technologically and with a few of us here this morning. Thanks to all our volunteers that do such a great job to keep us moving and uh, we're really, really thankful for you. And we're thankful for you here engaging live with us uh, on YouTube. Before we dive into our text, I want to draw your attention to something that's really exciting. Um, In the past, we have had uh, for many years an intensive discipleship program called Porterbrook. And uh, Porterbrook, as we have thought about it, um, doesn't really exist anymore in terms of that name and long story there. But we are going to be launching a very similar Discipleship training program that we're going to call Thrive. And it's going to function almost exactly the same way as Porterbrook used to function, similar curriculum and all that. But basically, it's a weekly touch point for you to go deeper into the DNA of what it means to be a disciple um, as we think about that here at The Vine. And so it's going to run January to May, take the summer off and then the fall semester, September through December. So it's a nine-month commitment that we're asking you for. Um, Our church planting resident, Houston Tucker, is going to uh, be the one who is uh, leading out on that. Uh, We're going to start on Zoom, and all that to say is uh, a lot of you watching this, we'd love to have you sign up for this. It's a really, really great way to go deeper in terms of the DNA of what it means to be a disciple at the Vine. So it's a Thrive, the Vine Discipleship Training Program. Um, you're gonna hear more information. Sign up isn't quite available yet, but that's coming very soon. And uh, you can talk to Amy Anderson, who was just up here. She did this uh, in a former form uh, for two years. We used to do it for two years, and we've trimmed it back to make the on-ramp a little easier for some folks uh, to a nine-month program. And we're just gonna try to do that on repeat now every year. And so uh, be on the lookout for more information about that. You can talk to me, you can talk to Amy, you can talk to lots of different people that have done it. Formerly Porterbrook, now we're calling it Thrive. And so be on the lookout for that. All right, if you have a Bible, Matthew 17, uh, and we're going to actually start in verse 24, though we're going to go backwards a little bit in our sermon for today. So a lot of people would say that we live in... um, what people would call an outrage culture, an outrage culture. Like, like, we hear oftentimes people not hesitating whatsoever in expressing their feelings, their feelings of anger or outrage about something. It happens all the time. And social media in our day has given a platform for that to be disseminated worldwide through the internet It gives a platform for us to air our grievances, right? As I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of the episode of Seinfeld, where they come up with a different holiday than Christmas, and they call it Festivus. And the tagline is Festivus for the rest of us. And they have these different, um, there are some people here that are familiar. I don't know, I'm I'm older, you know, when we we were first married, Seinfeld was syndicated and we would, before we had kids, and we'd sit and eat dinner at, at, you know, whatever, six every night on the couch and watch Seinfeld. But I always remember Festivus, Festivus for the rest of us. And part of the tradition that they came up with for Festivus was they would have feats of strength. This is weird, right? If you haven't seen it, it's, you have to go on YouTube and check it out. Just type in Festivus. Uh, Festivus for the rest of us, and they would have the airing of the grievances. So you had a grievance with someone during Festivus, this was the time. You air it out. You deal with it, right? Well, Festivus, I'm sorry, like uh, it seems like in our culture, especially with social media and the internet, it's like Festivus all year round. It's the constant airing of the grievances. I'm like, my grievances need a platform. Here it is. Everyone needs to know what I'm upset about. Let me tell you about it. And the point is this. So many of us are easily offended. We got grievances that need to get aired out. And those are quick to the surface. And we're ready to express them. We can take offense so easily. And I know that's true of me too. I think it shows, for me at least, I think it shows insecurity on my part in my adoption as a son of the Most High. And in our text for today, there is a potential offense at stake. It's potential for people to take offense. And we're going to learn today that there's a time to give offense and there's a time to hold back. And Jesus has something to teach disciples then and disciples now about this. So let's take a look at verse 24, chapter 17 of the book of Matthew. When they came, so this is Jesus and his disciples, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? So again, world of the Bible, very different than than our world here in Madison. So we have to understand some historical background, some historical context for this to come alive. It's very important as we read our Bibles to try to understand the world of the Bible. So this is not a civil tax that they're talking about here. Does your pe- teacher not pay the tax? So don't think like we pay our taxes, property taxes, sales tax, you know, uh, income tax. That's a civil tax. That's to the state, city, you know, government authorities. This is the temple tax. So, this is a religious tax. And it was required of all Jewish people living in that area at that time. Okay? So, this is a religious tax. The best analogy I could come up with, even though it doesn't exist, it'd be like this today. It'd be like if all the Christians in Madison went to one church, and there was one big church building where we all participated. And as a result, we would all have to chip in to support the expenses of that building and the expenses of what it took to upkeep and and the staff and the utilities and all of that. That's what this was like. All Jewish people were expected to pay a tax to support the temple. The temple, for them, was the center of their worship. Okay. So... That's what's going on here, and we don't know why these, these, tax, these Jewish tax collectors for the temple approached Peter and said, hey, what's up with Jesus? Like, does he or does he not pay the tax? Maybe they were just suspicious because Jesus was making waves and, and, and turning some traditional things on its head as they were concerned. We don't know why this conversation took place. But they pull him aside and they say, so does Jesus, does your teacher, does your leader, the one you're following, does he pay the temple tax? And Peter just simply says, yeah, yeah, he does. And that's where it ends. Like nothing too dramatic here, right? Well, Peter was probably ready to ask Jesus about this, right? But we're going to see that Jesus beats him to the punch. All right, look at verse 25. So that first scene is over, probably on the street, Peter talking to tax collectors. Now we move into a house. And when he came, verse 25, and when he came into the house where Jesus was, maybe where the disciples were gathered in Capernaum, Jesus spoke to him first. Interesting. Interesting. Maybe this is a, a miracle or Jesus' omniscience in some sense where, where he knew that this happened. We don't know, but for whatever reason, Jesus knew this happened, and he goes and he talks to Peter first about it. Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Verse 26, And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. So what's Jesus getting at here? Jesus has two big points to teach disciples then and disciples now. It'd be stated in different words like this. If if the if the landowner is your father, you don't pay to live on that land, right? If you are a king in a castle and you have a oversight and authority over 100 square miles, and that is your kingdom, you tax those who live on your land. You don't tax the prince or the princess that lives in the castle with you, your son and daughter. And that's what Jesus is saying here to Peter. So what's his point? What's his point? The point is that Peter and all disciples are not some subjects in a cold religious system that requires taxes. No, you're a child of the great king. You live in his house. You're connected to royalty of the universe. Your identity is one of family, not cold citizenship that lacks relationship and is just built on requirements. It's in Peter, you're son of the Most High, the Most High, that Jewish people think symbolically resides in that location, that temple. So if you're son of the Most High, why are you paying for something like a building? But this is where it goes one step further, that we have to put these pieces of the Bible together for this to really land on us, okay? So hang with me here. There's a hidden gem in here that I don't know if Peter saw in the moment, but I'm sure he spent the rest of his life thinking about this. We have to think and understand how Jesus relates to that temple. We have to think about Jesus and how he relates to that temple. That's what Jesus is really getting at here. Okay, so in Jesus' day, what was the temple? In in the Old Testament, what was the temple? Because that's what this is. This is a temple tax. And Jesus just said to Peter, you don't have to pay it because you're a son of the Most High. What's he getting at? What does this mean? Well, we have to think about what the temple was. The temple was a physical building where people would come to worship and have their sins forgiven. So, one huge example of this would be the Day of Atonement. The great high priest would take a perfect, spotless lamb and kill it as a sacrifice for the people, symbolizing that we all would recognize, if we were Jewish people in that day, that our sin deserves punishment, that's severe death. But God says, and we just trust Him by faith, that He's gonna receive this perfect, spotless lamb. In our place. And that's how we know that if we just do what God tells us to do, if we believe in what God has provided, our sins are forgiven. That's what people did year after year after year in the temple, Day of Atonement, Old Testament. The temple was the focal point for assurance of forgiveness and salvation. You go to the temple to worship. You go to the temple to know that your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus comes along. Like we saw a few months ago in verse 6 of chapter 12. And he says this, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now, if we understand Old Testament history, if you can put yourself in the shoes of of an ancient Jewish person hearing Jesus say that, in light of what I just told you about the temple, and the cosmic significance it would have for any devoutly religious person in that day, what Jesus says here that you see on the screen should send shockwaves down your spine. Jesus is saying that he is greater than the temple. Like, what does that mean? Well, Matthew arranged his account to give us a slice of what that means. Look back at verse 22. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Jesus has told them already why he's to be understood as greater than the temple. Now, the disciples probably couldn't put all these pieces together right then. But we know this is why Jesus, what I just read, his death, his resurrection, this is why Jesus is greater than the temple. This is why Jesus' people don't have to pay the temple tax. Why? Because Jesus is the temple. Jesus is where we go to know that our sins are forgiven. Jesus is the spotless lamb that lays down his life as a substitute for sinners. That that lamb year after year in the temple was simply a foreshadowing of the reality to come. And Jesus is saying that through his death and resurrection, that reality is here. So, temple days, they're over that's what Jesus is getting at here. The point is, you don't go to a building, you don't go to a place anymore, you go to a person. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus when he saw him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You take that statement and and embrace it with temple idea and what the Lamb of God, The lamb would do in that temple, you put that together, and you go, wow, Jesus is here. Things are changing. Something really significant is happening right now. So Jesus knows that this temple and this temple tax that everybody had to pay is going to be obsolete in just a very few weeks. That temple curtain torn in two. It's just another symbol of it that we're going to see in a few months here. Jesus is the temple. So in this sense, Peter and Jesus, they don't have to pay the temple tax. They're free from that. So just, Peter, you're son of the most high. You're connected to me. That's all you need. This temple is gonna be obsolete. So you don't pay to support something when you are the thing, or you're a son or daughter of the thing. Does that make sense? That's what Peter is, is learning here from Jesus. Jesus wants to make sure that Peter gets to this point. You are exempt, Peter, and you should know why. You are going to know why at a much de- deeper level when verse 22 and 23 come alive. Death, resurrection. You're gonna, you probably don't get it now, Peter, but in a few weeks, it's going to start coming together. And you're gonna ruminate on that for the rest of your life. But now, so hopefully we all get that. This this language of temple and and how Jesus is the new temple, it's all over the Bible. It's really important. But now we're gonna turn a sharp corner. Look at what Jesus does. And here's the point. Just because you're free To do something or not do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should do it or that you shouldn't do it. Like our love and our witness might lead us to do otherwise. Look at what he says, though, in verse 27. It's like he gives him a theology lesson and now. The freedom that that brings has implications that we need to be wise about. Look at verse 27. However, Jesus says, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. However, not to give offense to them. He basically says, we're going to pay it. We're going to pay the temple tax. I've already told you that you're free not to because this temple is going to be obsolete. I am the temple, but I still want you to pay it, Jesus. Or Jesus says to Peter, I still want you to pay it. Now, we got to stop and think about this. What this implies for Peter is that Jesus is reminding him that people are watching. Obviously, people are watching. That's why Peter was approached, Right? And we also know this. See, this gets, it gets a little complicated. We got we to use some wisdom here, put some pieces of the Bible together. We know for sure that Jesus is not reticent to give offense. Like he's done that over and over again with the Pharisees as we've worked through the book of Matthew, right? So that implies there's a time to give offense and there's a time to not give offense. There's a time to give offense when it's necessary There's a time to not give offense when it's not necessary. And apparently, Jesus believed that paying a temple tax, even though that temple's gonna be obsolete, it's worth it. It's not an area where we need to needlessly stir up trouble. It's not an area where where we need to needlessly give offense. Jesus is saying, we don't need to create a barrier here. It's not worth it. The, the word literally means here to give offense so that we will not scandalize them or drive them from faith. The point is that Jesus didn't want the disciples' freedom to get in the way of someone coming to faith in Jesus. Just because you're free to do something doesn't mean that it's wise to neglect the implications your freedom might have for healthy community life or healthy evangelistic life. Your freedom has implications for others. You don't exist as an island. You don't exist just for yourself. You exist as an individual connected to other individuals. It's called community, right? And we're called to love people, love God and love others, highest commandment. So Christian freedom doesn't trump all things right Jesus doesn't want unnecessary barriers so as not to give offense Peter go pay it we don't need this as a barrier to your witness Peter so let me let me give you some examples the Bible is clear that it's not a sin to drink alcohol it's a sin to to get drunk. Bible's very clear. So drunkenness not one of the choices for Christians that love God. But partaking in a responsible use of alcohol, we're free to do that. But let's say you're with an unbelieving friend and your unbelieving friend is the child of an alcoholic. And for that for that person that you love and you're in community with, having alcohol just brings up all of these horrible memories. And as a result, this person has chosen for themselves not to participate. Now, you're free to drink alcohol, but are you free in that instance? Like, what's most loving? What's most helpful? What's most wise? See, our freedom has implications, right? We're just finished with a crazy election season, right? And all of us have certain, most of us probably, have certain political convictions. Am I free to have those convictions? Absolutely. But when it comes to my witness, if those convictions and the nuances of my convictions are going to get in the way of my witness to Jesus and who he is and what he's done, is it worth it? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. But at least, I think from this text, it would be wise to think, maybe I should just at least ask the question before I open my mouth. What's most helpful? What's most loving? What's going to give God the most glory and not just satiate my desire to express myself about something that might not be of primary importance? COVID convictions. Hello, right? We all have an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. Everyone's got a hot take. I got a, a, a Christian friend from college who I recently saw write something very um, opinionated on social media. And it wasn't done in a way that I would say was necessarily promoting um, love for neighbor or bearing in mind that everybody knows that he's a Christian. And I read what he wrote, and I just thought, man, is this this really worth it? Because, I mean, he's got a big reach on social media, and he has somewhat of a public platform in the town where he lives. Everybody knows he's a Christian. They associate him with Jesus and, and to me, it just felt like he came off as lacking in awareness of that fact. And I just walked away going, like, and is this worth it? Is this the issue we want to divide over? Do we want to risk Jesus' reputation by how we are representing him right now? We're certainly free to have convictions about COVID, election, alcohol, what, whatever, But what's the wise, loving, helpful, winsome way to bring all this up? Are we unnecessarily giving offense? Are we unnecessarily creating barriers? I don't know all the ins and outs of every detailed situation that we could find ourselves in. But at least let's ask the question. That seems like what Jesus is getting at here. You're free, but don't use your freedom to get in the way of people coming to Jesus. If you don't have to. Jesus seems to think that there are times when we need to consider what unbelievers think. And there's a time not to. Right? So we, let's let's talk about the other angle. So there are times when Christians will give offense. And the number one way is when we share the gospel. The gospel says that we are all sinners in need of salvation. We fall short of the glory of God, and apart from Jesus as the perfect substitute, the spotless lamb of God, laying down his life to to bear the punishment that we deserve, apart from faith in that, we bear the wrath of God on our own and will be separated from him forever. That is offensive news. And we don't pull back on that. Now, hopefully the way I, I articulate that doesn't come with angry tone or yelling or, you know, beating people over the head with, you know, Bible thumping or whatever. But that message, what I just articulated in and of itself is offensive to a culture that says, I don't need salvation. I don't have a sin problem. You tell me that God loves me. Yeah, what, what's not to love? Why would you assault my self-esteem? Those statements are offensive to people, so we don't shy away from that. Why? Because eternity is at stake. God's glory is at stake. People's joy and satisfaction in life is at stake. These are huge realities. So there's a time to give offense, right? Right? But convictions about alcohol or COVID or election or it's coming, buckle up. Vaccine convictions. Like, is is that what we want to divide over? We learn in this text, paying the temple tax is not on the same level as Jesus telling the Pharisees the truth and offending them deeply. Those are different. Those things are worlds apart. So, we have to think critically about this. We have to think about this with nuance. My convictions about alcohol, or my convictions about vaccines, or my convictions about COVID, or whatever, might not be on the same level as me sharing the gospel with someone and being willing to offend in that way. See the difference? So Jesus doesn't want us to use our Christian freedom to cause offense unless it's necessary. There are times when it's necessary, there's times when it's not. If the gospel's at stake, offend away. Okay, let me give you another classic example of this that's just straight from the Bible. The book of Galatians is all about this. It's a prime example of when we will not hesitate to offend. And Paul gets up in Peter's face and offends him. I'll let you go home and read the book of Galatians to see this play out. But here's the short version. The audience of the book of Galatians were believing false teaching. The essence of the gospel was this. We believe in Jesus by faith and we follow an Old Testament law. Equals salvation. And Paul comes in to say, no, 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 no. That's heresy. That's a false gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Faith in Jesus, Jesus alone. What he did for me apart from works, it's not adding your obedience to it. It's all Jesus and what he did. It's his obedience credited to you, not you adding anything to it, right? Right? And Paul just bends over backwards to say, you can't do this, and I'm willing to go down swinging on this one because the gospel's at stake. It'd be like if you said, we can go back to the example of alcohol. If you said, the way to salvation is faith in Jesus plus being a teetotaler equals salvation. If that was something that you were saying I'm willing to give offense about that. It's like, find me the the bottle opener the quickest and pour me the best glass of Cabernet and I'm I'm down on that, baby. Because the gospel's at stake. And what you're you're believing is is, is a lie. You cannot teach that. You cannot believe that. The gospel's at stake. So the, the Galatian people were perverting the gospel, believing a lie, It's a time to offend. It's a time to correct, right? It's a time to be willing to to have division, right? We will certainly give offense when the gospel is being perverted. But if the gospel's not at stake, like it's just your personal conviction to not drink alcohol, then by all means, I'll refrain out of love. Does that make sense, the difference? the gospel's not at stake, Meaning you're not trying to impose your personal conviction about alcohol on everyone else and saying, unless you follow this, you can't be saved. That's a false gospel. But if it's just your personal conviction, and yeah, I was raised by an alcoholic and this is just my personal conviction and um, it has nothing to do with salvation. Then by all means, I'm going to refrain if that's what's most loving as you define it. So if the gospel's not at stake, then maybe we pause, we pray, we seek feedback from others. Maybe we slow down before we use our words in a way that might, or or our actions that might create a barrier to faith. And that's what Jesus is is getting at in this text with Peter in terms of paying that temple tax. You're free to not pay it, but you're also free to pay it. You're free, but don't use your freedom to, to create a barrier to faith. So it requires reflection and thoughtful prayer. So let me just sum up and we'll be done. Peter learned that his identity as a son of the Most High King Jesus has implications for his life. He was free to not pay the tax. But on the other hand, his freedom also enabled him to pay the tax for the sake of witness to his neighbor. And we need to reflect on that. Man, if you're secure in who you are, Maybe you're free to think really hard about what's worth offending and what isn't worth offending because we carry the reputation of Jesus in our words and our deeds, declaration and demonstration. So may the Lord help us. May the Lord help us be wise here and just simply be willing to repent when we fail. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for what it represents Thank you for how it helps us and leads us and guides us. Lord, we ask that you would give us much grace as we work these things out in community. Lord, we pray that we would not be a stumbling block to those that don't know you. We pray that we would not um, just be cavalier or loose with how we use our words. But Lord, give us thoughtful wisdom that's fueled by love of you and love of neighbor. Um, We need this by by the power of your Spirit. Help us um, just reject the impulses of selfishness. And may we stir up by the power of your spirit and your word the impulse towards selflessness because that's who you created us to be. We're made in your image, in the image of a generous, selfless God. So Lord, make us by your spirit and by your word those people too. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.